Good morning. So it's been interesting all morning to see which sections are the most friendly. Um, you guys are not, like both sides. This, uh, this uh, section seemed to be the most friendly. At nine, it was, uh, uh, this side was, they just didn't want to talk to each other. I don't know what it was. But anyway, we're glad you're here and uh, looking forward to continuing this series uh, in Galatians, wrapping it up. I wish Paul had written more so that it would be a chapter 7. I've really enjoyed this series. I hope you've gotten a lot out of it as well. And so we're going to wind this up. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, so we're going to wind this up uh, today. Next week, though, we're starting a series I'm really excited about. It's called Experiential God. Um, experiential with a God, lowercase g. And what we're going to look at is, does our view of God line up with Scripture or has our view of God been shaped by our experience? Okay? So how, how, how much does my understanding, my view of who God is, line up with Scripture? Or is it more in line with the experiences I've had? Because what happens oftentimes is we experience things that are true. We experience things that are facts, right? But oftentimes the conclusions we draw from those experiences are incorrect. And so we want to look at that and really look at the character and nature of God. Um, and really excited about doing that. I think it's very important because every one of us in some way have a skewed worldview um, that's not perfectly in line with Scripture, how we see God, how we see ourselves, how we see each other, how we see our purpose. And so what we want to do is really begin to look through the lens of Scripture rather than the lens of our experience. And so really looking forward to that. So Galatians today, um, go ahead and turn back to chapter 1. I promise we're not going to preach all the way back through this today, but I do want to read the first five verses of Galatians 1. And then we're going to flip back to chapter 6, and we're just going to read verse 11 to start with. And we'll pray, we'll jump in from there. And so it says in Galatians chapter 1, it says, Paul, an apostle, sent not from men nor by a man. In other words, he has special authority because he has been sent not by man nor by men, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. And all the brothers and sisters with me to the churches in Galatia. Remember, Galatia is an area where Paul had gone and planted several churches. And then he began to go and make rounds to visit these churches. He set up uh, leaders in these churches. And he's writing letters back to these churches. This letter was written back to these churches in Galatia for a specific purpose. Now listen to this, verse 3. Grace and peace to you. From God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I want to go back and read verse 3 again. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now let's flip over. Chapter 6, just verse 11. Last week we looked at how the fruit of the Spirit practically plays out in our lives and community says here in chapter 6, verse 11, we're going into um, this closing words of Paul. And he says this. He says, see what large letters I use as I write to you with my own hand. So let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is truth. Would you, God, today renew our minds? 
that we would be transformed through the renewing of our minds, that we would be able to see you, ourselves, others, and our purpose through the lens of Scripture. God, today that our hearts would be set on fire for you, that the Holy Spirit would work in us, God, to do something that we can't do. Transform us through your word, God, that we know is God-breathed, that it is living, that it is active. God, do something in us through your grace, God, that we cannot do on our own. Let us leave here different than we walked in the doors. God, as we talk about your word, let us get a picture of who you are, a new awe of who you are, a new reverence of who you are, a greater love for who you are, so that we walk out of this place, God. Uh, we walk with you. We journey with you. We cling to you, and you produce in our lives all the things that you desire so that we can accomplish the purpose for which we were created, enjoying you, Lord, in the journey. We love you, Father, and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So got a question I want to start out with. Um, some of you probably know more about this than others, but I want to ask you this simple question. You're welcome to like literally answer it, all right? So who is the greatest boxer of all time? Muhammad Ali. That has been pretty much the consensus of everybody, right? Um, one person said Mike Tyson. Um, and so, but, but, but majority of people have said Muhammad Ali. But I got to thinking, I kind of looked up some of the other great boxers of all time. So you have like Muhammad Ali, you had Joe Frazier, who I never wasn't around to see fight. I really wasn't around to see Muhammad Ali fight. Sugar Ray Leonard, I barely remember seeing Sugar Ray Leonard fight, but he was a pretty bad dude too. Um, Rocky Marciano, he was way before me. Um, Mike Tyson, um, who was the one that I probably watched more than any. Um, and then Floyd Mayweather, right? Um, some of these incredible boxers um, who we know of, we've seen, we've done great things. For me, the greatest boxer I've had the privilege to watch is Mike Tyson. Because in his prime, like, he was bad. Like, they promote these fights, and they try to build up these fights, and they were over in less than 90 seconds. And, and if you remember, Mike Tyson, he, he had this one punch that if he ever landed it, it was over. Anybody remember what that was? It was the right uppercut. Remember, if he ever hit them, it rattled their brain enough that it was like game over, right? And, and so that was kind of like the punch that we would call sort of the haymaker, right? You ever heard people talk about, man, they got in a fight, they were throwing haymakers. You ever heard that saying? And so that's kind of what we would think about that. Now, and how does that tie into Galatians chapter 6? This is how it ties in. As Paul is wrapping up this letter He's kind of throwing it the haymaker. He, he wants them to get this. This is his final words to them in this letter, and he wants them to get it. So much so that it says that he wrote this with his own hand. Many times people back then would have someone write for them. They would dictate it, and someone else would write. He says, I'm taking the time to write this with my own hand. He said, look at how big the letters are. It, 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 look at this. He's wanting them to see the importance of this. He's wanting them to not miss this. He wants them to get this and see this. So for us, it would be like this. It would be like, like sending a text message in all caps, right? How many of y'all do that? 
you're angry or you're really like wanting somebody to understand something, it's like all caps. Right? Some of you do it in, in email. I know that's archaic, but you do it in email, right? Where it's all caps. It's like you're, we, we can shout at people through text message. And, and that's kind of what Paul is doing here as he's writing this. He says, look with what large letters I write. Some people will try to say like he had poor eyesight or he had a, a hand that was uh, deformed or, or whatever it might be. But, but it's Really, Paul is writing this, and he's writing with large letters, and he's writing it himself because he's trying to get them to understand this is important. This is his last words to them. This is the haymaker. This is the thing that he wants to write, that he wants them to see, that he wants the Holy Spirit to use to finally knock out this controversy and this fight with these false teachers who have come into Galatia, and they have begun to teach a false gospel. If you've been around here, you've heard us talk about this, that these, these false teachers were coming in and they were teaching that faith in Jesus was not enough for salvation. They were teaching that you had to uh, follow the law, that salvation was uh, also um, coupled with uh, faith was following the rules, getting the rules right, that for men, you had to be circumcised. And Paul gave his life to preserve the gospel that we are saved not through works and not through circumcision, not through that circumcision representing this whole way of religion. And we, that we are saved by grace through faith in Christ alone, that that is it. And if you add anything to it, it perverts the gospel. And Paul says it's no longer any gospel at all. It's now something completely different. And so when we look at it, we begin to see Paul is passionately, again, saying, pay attention to my words. I don't want you to miss these words. Don't fall for what these false teachers are preaching. Don't go back to a works-based salvation. It is, salvation is through faith alone. Don't, don't fall for their manipulation. And he tries to show them next in verses 12 and 13. He says, those who want to impress people by means of the flesh are trying to compel you to be circumcised. The only reason they do this is to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. He says, not even those who are circumcised keep the law, yet they want you to be circumcised that they may boast about your circumcision in the flesh. What's he saying? He's trying to point out their motives. He's saying, don't you see that they're manipulating you for their own selfish ambition? He's saying they don't have your best at heart. They're coming in, and one of the things they're doing is they're preaching circumcision. They're preaching the law. They're trying to move you away from faith because they want to look good themselves. These people came from Jerusalem. It was kind of a hub of these, these Jews who felt like you had to add something to faith to be saved and to be a part of the church. And they want to go back and be able to be puffed up and say, look at what we did. And so Paul is really telling them, understand their agenda. Understand their motive. Another reason that we see them manipulating is they want to avoid persecution. See, the Apostle Paul, who wrote so many of the books of the New Testament, he was going through great persecution over this very issue. His own people, the Jewish people, were persecuting him because he would not agree that the law 
and circumcision were necessary for salvation. If Paul would just say, yeah, you got to follow the rules, and yeah, man, you got to be circumcised. If he would have just given in to that, then, then a lot of his persecution, a lot of his troubles go away. But he wouldn't give in, and this is why I admire Paul so much. He wouldn't give in so that Galatians says he could preserve the gospel for us. How incredible is that? That he didn't give in so that now we are able to hold the true gospel. We are able to understand that I can't work for salvation. That the Holy Spirit is not given to me by working harder. That the Holy Spirit is given to me by believing the message of Jesus. And that the work of the Holy Spirit then is, continues through faith in Christ. Paul asked them in Galatians 3, he says, who bewitched you? He said, let me ask you one question. Did you receive the Holy Spirit by obeying the law, by, by obeying the rules? Or did you receive the Holy Spirit by faith? He says, did you, did you see miracles? Did God do miracles among you because of the works of the law? Or did God do miracles among you because of your faith? And those questions are rhetorical. He knows what it was. It was faith in Jesus that the Spirit moved. Their own experience testified to this. And now these teachers are coming in to try to move them away from faith in Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. And so we see their intent is to avoid persecution. It's to put a so-called notch in their belt to be able to go back to Jerusalem and be puffed up and say, guess what we did? We, 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 we converted 40 people to follow the law into circumcision. He wanted to look good in the eyes of people. But look at verse 14. Paul says this. He says, may I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Paul's intent is as opposite from theirs as night is from day. His intent is he cares for their heart. His intent is that they have a relationship with God that is filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, that it's not cold religion, rules-based religion that doesn't lead us to life. His heart is that they come to life and that they don't forfeit that life by falling back into these rules-based ways of coming to God or trying to come to God. And Paul is willing to embrace this persecution to preserve the gospel. Paul, here's what he says here. Paul is living for the glory that he would see one day, not the approval of man that he could have today. And that's a challenge for us. Are we living for the glory that we will receive one day as we stand before our Lord and we hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Or are we living for the approval of people around us now? What matters more to us? He says, I'll never boast except in the cross. He says, the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. He says, this world doesn't matter to me anymore. And what mattered was seeing people saved and hearts changed and God given more worship. But what he's saying is people's opinions, they don't determine what I do. They don't determine who I am. 
but now it's God. I would ask us this. Is our love for Christ and our identity in Christ strong enough to not base our boasting on human approval, but to only boast in what Jesus did on the cross? Is our identity strong enough to not live for the approval of man? Because we all struggle with this. I guarantee every person in here struggles with this to some degree. We look for the approval of people. We easily become slaves to approval. And yet Paul's identity was so rock solid in Christ. He says, listen, I'm dead to the world and the world's dead to me. And now I don't live for the approval of the world. I live for one and his name is Jesus. He goes on in verse 15. And he says, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is the new creation. Paul's saying that the new creation doesn't come by following rules. Paul, listen to me. Paul is not saying that the new creation comes because we are circumcised or because we obey the law. He's saying the new creation comes when we come to faith. That's what he says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17. He says, look, when you come to faith, you become a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. But so many of us struggle with that. We're still allowing our past to determine our future. We're still allowing our past, we're still allowing how we've seen each other through our experiences to determine who we are and how we live now. But God says when you come to that moment of realizing who Jesus is and you turn from sin and you turn to him and by faith you just receive Christ. He's saying in that moment, your sin is taken away. It's separated as far as the east is from the west. You become a new person. Paul wrote that. He understood that. He knew the sin in his own life. He called himself the worst of sinners. He knew the things that he had done. And yet he also knew and had this great confidence that because of his faith in Jesus, he was a new person. He wasn't that old person. That old person was dead and gone. And Paul's saying, don't drag him around with you anymore. He says, what really matters is this new creation. Look at 2 Corinthians. If you flip to the left, go to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Let's look at this real quick. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. I've mentioned this verse several times. I want us just to spend a moment looking at it. So Paul's writing this letter back to the church in Corinth. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, he says this. He says, And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate, contemplate. The word also means reflect. It can mean looking at yourself in a mirror. But we contemplate. The Lord's glory. We look at the Lord's glory. The Lord's glory becomes a mirror for us. He says, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, 
who is the Spirit. He's saying your transformation happens through the Holy Spirit when you contemplate the glory of the Lord. And I believe two things happen in this. When we look at Jesus, it's like looking into a mirror. It's like looking at the face of Christ. And as we look at his glory and we see who he is, the Holy Spirit begins to transform us into his image. But here's something else that I believe happens. As we contemplate the image of Christ, as we contemplate the person of Christ, as we look at Christ like a mirror, we have to come to a place where we realize that as we look at Jesus, what, what, what is being reflected back is our identity, is who we are. And so many of us, when we look into a mirror, we don't, we don't see ourselves as Christ. And it hinders us from living like Christ. It hinders us from walking in the ways that Jesus calls us to walk. If you'll begin to believe that Jesus has made you new, you can begin to live a new life. If you'll begin to trust in the promises, God will work his promises out in your life. But we come to this place where it's hard for us to see this. It's hard for us to understand this. But I can promise you this. This is a promise I'll give you. If you will journey with Jesus, you will become more like Jesus. If you will walk with Christ, if you will be in relationship with him through prayer and scripture and community, if you do those things and you walk with him and you don't do them because you're trying to get, gain his approval or you're trying to be saved, you're doing them to enjoy the fellowship that we have with Jesus through the Holy Spirit, the thing that I can promise you is you will become more like Christ. If you will fix your eyes on Jesus and run the race he set before you and you will run with him, you will be transformed. The Holy Spirit will work in your life. I have people come in my office a lot and they can be frustrated and troubled with themselves because they haven't gotten to a certain point in their, where they think they ought to be in their life. I had somebody come in the other day and they were talking about how they were having a hard time forgiving. But this person had only been saved like a month and they couldn't forgive. And I'm like, forgiveness is not really something you can just flip the switch on, right? I said, why don't you just trust the same God who's, who saved you and brought you this far in such a short amount of time? Why don't you just trust that this God who loves you, this God who sent his son, this God who has filled you with his spirit, why don't you just trust that his promise is true and he is going to finish what he started? Why don't you just walk with him? Why don't you just live in relationship with him? And why don't you trust him to, to finish the process that he's begun with you? And if we do that, we become more like Jesus, become more like him. We're going to skip verse 16 for now in Galatians. If you go back to Galatians chapter 6, we're going to skip verse 16. We'll come back to it in just a second. But verse 17 says this, from now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. This is so powerful. Paul's saying, look, from now on, let nobody cause me trouble. In other words, look, I've come to this place where as I've died to the world and the world's died to me, 
what they do no longer is, is troubling me because I'm secure in who I am in Christ. I know the gospel he gave me. Let, let them, no, no more trouble from this. And, and he looks at it and he's telling us that, that, that he bears the marks of Christ on his body. What does he mean by that? He means the literal marks, the literal scars that he has taken upon himself from spreading the gospel, by preaching the gospel. But Paul was, was flogged. He was beaten. He, he was put through all kinds of persecution and torture because he refused to back down from the gospel. Can you imagine, like, if you were Timothy or you were Barnabas or you were, were, were uh, Mark or or Titus, or one of these guys, and let's say you're traveling with Paul, you're one of Paul's traveling companions, and, and you get, say, where you're going to stay in this house, and Paul takes his shirt off, or his upper garment, whatever they were wearing, and, and you turn around and you see his back that had been shredded because of the beatings he took for preaching the gospel. How convicting is that? How convicting is that? And he says, I bear these marks on my body. Don't let anybody trouble me. I, he says, I know who I am. I know what I've been through. I know the gospel I preach. I know the gospel that God gave me. I know the gospel still saves. I know you were saved by hearing the gospel and by saying yes to the gospel. He's saying the gospel is still powerful. I'm going to keep preaching it come hell or high water, and people are going to keep getting saved. I'm going to keep planting churches. I'm going to keep moving forward. Regardless, the word that's used for marks on his bodies, or it can mean scars on his body. The word that's used, and this is really cool, the word that's used is a word that actually means branded. It means to be branded, right? It's like marking a cow. People take a brand, they mark a cow. What does that brand do? It tells you, that, tells you who that cow belongs to, right? And he uses this word, and he says, literally, I have been branded by Christ. I have been branded through the wounds that I've experienced. He says, I've been branded. My identity is now his. There's an account in the book of Acts where these men are going around and they're trying to cast out a demon from someone and they're trying to do it in Jesus' name. But they go to this demon-possessed person and they say in Jesus' name, come out of him. And the demon responds and says, Jesus I know and Paul I've heard of, but who are you? And it says they took such a beating that they left there naked, running away. Here's my question. Are we walking so close with Jesus? Are we doing such damage to the kingdom of darkness that the enemy knows who we are? Do you want to live a life that the enemy knows your name? Do you want to live a life that is so damaging to the kingdom of darkness that it wouldn't be where he says, who are you? 
but they were making a difference. We're taking ground for the kingdom of light. And here's the challenge with that. When he knows your name, attack's coming. Attack is coming. I can tell you this. Been in ministry now for about 21, 22 years. Started this church 15 years ago. In some ways, it feels like it was yesterday. In other ways, it feels like 50 years ago. In other ways, it feels like, why did I do this? It, it, it literally, at times. But I had a, a guy who mentored me for a while, and he said, Brandy, you got to understand, if you're not getting shot at, you're not over the target. But Paul had learned something, and he says it in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, when he pleads with God three times to take this thorn out of his flesh. And, and God tells him, he, he doesn't say, okay, Paul, I'm going to remove it. What God tells him is, Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. And here's the thing I know, and this is what we've got to believe, and this is what we've got to trust, that the things we face when the enemy comes against us for doing the things that God's called us to do, because if you do the things God calls you to do and you seek to live a godly life, you will be persecuted. When these things begin to come, we have to believe and understand that God's grace is sufficient. When our hearts are wounded by doing ministry, when our hearts are wounded by doing the things that God's called us to do, we have to trust that God's grace is sufficient to heal and to walk with us through the healing. That's where our confidence comes from. I remember I went and was looking at buying a truck. This was, this was not long after we started the church. Still got this truck. It was 2009. And I remember the guy selling the truck to me. His name was Billy. He found out I was a preacher. And I bet 10 times while we were walking through this deal and working out the paperwork, he'd just stop and look up at me and he'd say, Preacher, don't let them church people get you down. Just randomly. Preacher, don't let them church people get you down. And this is what I can tell you. If you do ministry, you're going to have wounds. If you love people, you're going to have wounds. If you try to walk with people, you're going to get hurt. But God's grace is sufficient, sufficient to heal, but also sufficient to sustain you in the healing. Do you believe, do I believe that God's grace is sufficient to heal the wounds and sustain us in the healing? The last thing I want us to look at today is this. In verse 16, it says, peace and mercy to all who follow this rule, in other words, who live by this gospel, to the Israel of God. And then you go down to 18. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirits, brothers and sisters. Look back now, Galatians chapter 1. You remember when we read this? Look back at verse 3. He says this in Galatians 1.3. He says, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. You go back over here to 16 and 18, and he tells us peace and mercy to all who follow this rule. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. I want you to see something that Paul is telling us very clearly. This is not how he typically would start a letter, end a letter. It would be a different like salutation and benediction. Um, and and he, he does this so intentionally. Because what Paul wants us to understand and what Paul wants us to see is that you, you finish the same way you began. 
He's selling them right out of the gate. He's coming out swinging from the, from, the, from the first bell. He's coming out swinging, and he says, grace and peace to you. He doesn't do that by accident. He's telling them, if you're going to live this life, if you're going to walk in the power of God's grace and the power of his spirit, if you're going to have this relationship with God that is life-giving and not dead, cold religion, then what you need to understand is that it will be by grace. What you need to understand is that your peace will come through grace. It will come through walking with Jesus. It will come through abiding with him so that the fruit of the Spirit is produced in your life, so that the community of God becomes a community it was created to be. And he's wanting us to see that how you begin is the same way you end. It is all by faith. Paul's saying finish how you started. How many of y'all use Siri? Y'all use Siri? How many of y'all get mad at Siri? How many of y'all actually yell at Siri? Who uses like text to talk, right? Because I just, my thumbs get lazy. And so I just hit the button and I'll start talking. And evidently Siri don't understand Southern. And I'll look down, and I'm like, how'd she get that? And I'll yell at her. I'm like, Siri, you're worthless. But a lot of times what I do is if I'm riding down the road um, and, and I have a thought about a message and uh, you know, you're praying through, through the Scripture, a lot of times I'll just listen to the Scripture I'm going to be preaching as I'm riding down the road, and then, then I'll have a thought. And so I'll, I'll push the button to be able to talk that note um, and, and so that it'll go in there. And, um, and I do that, and then, like, Siri gets it wrong a lot. So I realized, like, Siri is a sinner, right? <laughs> like, Siri has fallen short of the glory I know that's a stupid thought, right? But the thing I want you to see, and, and as we do this, listen, you're not going to get it all right either. You're not going to get it all right either. You're not going to come to a place of perfection in this life. But what you can do is come to a place of relationship with God in this life. What you can do is journey with the Lord through this life. What you can do is enjoy the journey with Jesus. What you can do is be used for a greater purpose than just sucking in oxygen, right? What you can do is have a purpose that's greater than yourself. What you can do is have peace of knowing that this life is not all that there, there is for me, that there is a hope and a future that God has for me. To, to realize that I don't need to just live for some kind of vainglory now. I'm living for a glory that is eternal. When you think about this gospel of grace, it truly is amazing. To think about Jesus coming and living this perfect life. And to think about Jesus going to the cross for us. 
To think about Jesus taking all of our sin upon himself. To think about Jesus taking the wrath of God for our sin upon himself. To think about Jesus dying um, on that cross. To think about Jesus being laid in a cold, dark tomb. To think about the fact that God accepted this sacrifice because once and for all that the price for sin was paid. And to think about on that third day the stone being rolled away and Jesus walking out of that tomb victoriously. To think about Jesus going and finding those disciples who had turned away from him, who, who had ne- ne- rejected him because of his arrest and because of his death. And he went and found them because he still loved them even though they had made a mistake. And he called them back to himself and he gave them this commission to think that he had promised back in John 14 and 16 that he was going to send another that was just like him but wasn't him who wouldn't just walk beside us but would live inside us. And to think that he took on this mountain and then he ascended into heaven and a few days later as they're sitting in this room and they're praying he did what he promised and he sent back the Holy Spirit and the place was filled and it looked like tongues of fire were sitting on their head and it was so powerful it was like the sound of a mighty rushing wind to think about the fact that a church was born in that moment that could not be stopped so that 2,000 years later it's still taking ground to think about that we're called to be a part of that church, to think about this, that for some of you, you become apathetic, but there's still this flame, this little, little, little flicker of a flame that's in your heart. And to think about the fact that God loves you so much, he wants to pour his spirit back into you. He wants to breathe back into you new life new life back into you so that that flicker of a flame becomes this roaring fire and you realize again that the scripture is true that God is a consuming fire and you begin to live for him. (laughs) To realize it's so much greater than cold dead religion. See, See, if you're just living for the rules and you're just living by the law, and you're just trying to make yourself right, it's like still being in that cold, dead tomb. It's living in the dark. The Bible says that we were dead in our trespasses, in our sins. And yet because of God's grace and because of God's mercy, he's made us alive through faith in Christ. But so many of us have settled for this this type of religion that cannot give us life. You talk about an experiential God. And just to be frank and to be honest, so many of you, your God sucks because it's not the God of the Bible. You've got this image that it's about you. That it's about what you do. When in reality, it's about what God has done, what God is doing, and what God wants to do through your life. That He wants the relationship, that He wants to awaken those of you who once had a fire inside of you. He wants to awaken you from the apathy. And for those of you who right here, right now, you're in this place where you know you have never gone from death to life through faith in Jesus. You've never said yes to Jesus. And right now, God is pleading with you through his word that you would come to him. It's like a... (sighs) 
It's like a father pleading with his son to come home. Jesus prepared a place for you. He desires relationship with you. That relationship comes by faith. Throughout Galatians, we've been looking at this path to salvation, the way of salvation. My question to you is what Paul says. He said the only thing that matters is a new creation. My question to you is have you been made a new creation? Have you come to faith? Has the Holy Spirit dwelt in your heart? Has God removed that heart of stone and given you a heart of flesh? Has he given you an affection for him? Has he stirred you with his spirit? Has he given you a new purpose? And do you recognize who he is? Have you been born again? That's what it means to be a new creation. I've been born again. I'm, I was born a sinner, but now I'm born again through the power of the Holy Spirit to live a new life. Jesus said, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they're born again. Have you been born again through the gospel? Or have you just been bored with religion? Have you been made a new creation? Or are you just desensitized and apathetic about God? Are you still at enmity with God? In other words, is there still a divide between you and God? Are you still an enemy of God? And I want you to understand apathy about God is enmity. Have you been born again? Have you become a new creation through the power of the Holy Spirit? Simply by saying yes to Jesus. I was sitting in my office with somebody the other day. It was the most incredible thing I've ever seen. And I'm sitting in my office and I'm sharing my heart with someone. And we're talking through the gospel. And I'm sitting there and, and it wasn't a tangible thing. But it was almost like I could see God reach into their, their, their soul. And take this heart. It was so full of depression, suicidal thoughts, so full of, of hopelessness. And it was like I could almost see it happen. Before my eyes, it was like I saw this new heart. I saw a change of affection. I saw a change of purpose. I saw hope. And my question to you is, have you been born again? I don't know why I'm so emotional, guys, but I just feel like I feel like there are people here right now who you're at the end of yourself 
And the answer isn't another drug. The answer isn't more sex. The answer isn't more money. The answer is Jesus. I experienced this in my own life when I was 24. April 1st of 2000 was the day of salvation for me. I believe for many of you today is the day of salvation for you. So today you would say yes to Jesus. It's just saying yes, I receive what you're offering, Lord. Your spirit has stirred my heart for you. And today you would say yes to Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior of your life. Then I'd encourage you to do is raise your hand and let us pray with you. Just say yes. Amen. Our prayer folks want to pray with you. Today's the day of salvation for you. One more time, put your hand up. Let us see you. Let us know so we can can pray. Thank you, brother, back here. I just feel in my heart like God's drawing some of you. That God's drawing some of you, that God is calling you. You, you, you know it. And I know this is intimidating, right, to do this in a room full of people. But here's the thing I would encourage you to do. Listen, if, if, if you feel like, like your arm's sewn to your side and you can't raise your hand, right, then when you walk out of here, just go to the next steps table and just tell them, today I decided to follow Jesus. It's right out here, right out these doors. You just go to that table. You say, today I decided to follow Jesus. And we'll take you from there, right? We'll help you take your next steps. But I want to pray for us. And we'll be dismissed. Lord, let us walk in light of who you are, not who we were. Fill us again, Lord, with the power of your spirit. Let every day be like the day of Pentecost for us, where the wind, your spirit blows through us, filling us. Give us courage and boldness to walk in your ways, God. Lord, help us to journey with you and enjoy that journey, the relationship with you. Father, we love you. And we thank you. I thank you for each person here today, each person that has watched this message online. God, would you stir our hearts? Would you stir our hearts? Give us a greater affection for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey, guys, we're, we're done. You're dismissed. But let's go in the courage and boldness of Christ. Amen.